This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I'm actually quite looking forward to today's message because um, I think God gave me something that hopefully will be beneficial for you and will be something that will ignite some passion in you for the year that lies ahead. And so let's just jump straight in and get going with that. Um. I have a rare privilege. Now you're all interested, hey? (laughs) I have a rare privilege. Every single day, I get to enjoy the day with my wife. I know. Now, I know a lot of you are married to some really nice ladies, and I know that they're absolutely fabulous. But don't be jealous of me because I have the best, okay? (laughs) But there's something... In April, we will have been married for 20 years. 20 years. That's a big one, huh? 20 years. But every single day, I get to wake up, and I, the, the good thing for me that marriage has done and years have done is it's developed more and more of an appreciation for me for the woman that I married. When you're young and you really meet somebody, you, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's really bubble and froth. But when you start to spend time with somebody, the bubble and froth all goes away and then you get to see the real material behind there. And so every single day, what's so wonderful for me is I get to see and spend the day with the love of my life. She is so special because she is the woman that is the fabric of our family. She's the glue that holds everything together. She's the person who's like 10 steps ahead. I'm always catching up. Me and the kids are in hot pursuit of her because she's already well ahead and she's thinking of everything and she's planning of everything and she's making provision. So by the time we get there, it's already sorted out because mom's already been there. But she's creative and she's innovative and she's full of compassion and she sees things and she has a strong fiery side to her. Not because it comes out of anything other than, you know what, it's like there's something better. Don't settle for for what you could be average. Push yourself through. Make something of it. The fiery thing comes out. It's a good thing. The fact of the matter is I'm a better man today because I spent 20 years with her. The point is, it's all of these things that contribute to something called love. And in that space, I begin to recognize that I just love her so very much. And every single day, that love is vital. It's life. It's living. Love is something that is dynamic. It's not something that's passive, that just sits there. It's not something like stone, like like a, a monument set to something. Love is dynamic and living. It's alive. It's looking for the opportunity to express itself, to give itself a, a, a voice, to come into situations and so that it is experienced. And because of that, I begin to do different things for her. Anytime love is looking to express itself, it's what we call Romance. Romance is love expressed. And so I do different things for Sarah. And so I, I might go and get her um, a little bouquet of flowers 
or a big bouquet of flowers. She likes bigger ones than smaller ones. But when you go and get a bouquet, I can't buy a bouquet because the thing is, I know what she likes and I know what she doesn't like. And so when I pick those things out, it's like I want these flowers and that flowers and put some greenery in and put it together because that's the way she likes it. Why? Because it becomes an expression of my love. It becomes an expression of romance. She may have a busy day. And so I come into that space and it's like, I'll tell you what, it's been a long one. It's been a heavy one. Sit down, relax. I'll make dinner tonight. Why? Because it's an expression of love. Maybe she wants me to dig her a flower bed or stake up a plant or go out and prune something. I do those things. Why? Because it's all about romance. They're expressions of love. In all of those different things, I'm taking the opportunity every single day to find different ways that I can sit and say to her, you know what? This is why you mean the world to me. This is why I love you. But the love that I have for you is not a passive thing. It's not something that I've just subscribed to, but it is something that's living and dynamic and is looking for an opportunity to be able to take itself and to be able to express itself through me and evidence itself in our relationship. Romance is important because romance is the voice of love. It's the expression of love. And when you take romance and you take the expression of life and you allow that to have influence in your relationship, things begin to shift and change. And all of a sudden, what you end up with is you end up with a relationship that's built on a platform of love, expressions of intimacy, expressions of value. It begins to shift and change different stuff. Here's a little bit of a whammy. Philippians chapter 5 says something interesting. Well, this is for all of you wives. Pay attention. It says, husbands, love your wives. <laughs> but you know what? The Bible never ever says anywhere, wives love your husbands. Do you know why? Because you are the head of the household and you have a responsibility to introduce something into that relationship. And when you take love and you introduce love into that relationship, when you begin to develop a true appreciation and a love for who that woman is, and you take of that and you begin to engage romance, you allow love to begin to express itself in a number of different and varied ways. What ends up happening is she can't help it but respond to that. Her love is born out of your love for her. If she doesn't love you, have a good look in the mirror. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his love for it. It comes with a responsibility because I can't give you what I don't have. It took me many years to get to a better place. I'm still not perfect. The good thing about it is God is such a great foil. He does a great job of this stuff. But we live and learn as men. But you get to a place where you begin to recognize the fact that if I truly want to express my love for you, I've got to make sure that I'm at a place where I'm healthy and I have that to be able to offer you. Because if I'm wobbly, and if my foundation has got all kinds of stuff to it, if I have all kinds of divots in who I am, I can't live out of love because what happens is I've got too much stuff on the, on the inside of me that gets in the way of that. And so I can't introduce true expressions of what that is. So you're probably wondering where I'm going with this. I am going somewhere, just trust me. Stick with me. Lamentations, chapter 3. Verses 22 to 23. 
It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I know it says that, but it doesn't do justice to it. So what I want to do is I want to pick it apart a little bit, and I want to get back to the original Hebrew of what some of those words mean. And so I think it'll give us a better understanding and open up some some opportunities for us to discover what that's really saying to us. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Now, your Bible may say mercies. It may say love. It may say compassion. And um, they kind of, the different um, translations have used different um, words in that space. But none of those really do that justice. That's not really what it means. In the original Hebrew, the the word for mercy is the word racham. I know. And what it really means is romance. Romance in the context, not romance that is love, but romance in the context of love expressed. What he's saying is the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his expressions of love to you, his romance for you are new every morning. The word new in that context is not talking about something which is taken and reinvented. It's not patching up something which used to be and representing it. What it's saying is God is giving you something new and something that you've never experienced before every single day. What that verse is really saying is this. Every morning when you wake up, God is looking for new and creative ways to show to you and express to you his love. He's looking to romance you. And the guarantee that it's going to take place is him. His faithfulness is a guarantee that every single morning you can look forward to new expressions of his love expressed to you. That's good news. You all look very serious. That's wonderful news. Do you know what that means? At the beginning of 2024... You have a year ahead to experience the love of God. You have a year ahead to experience God's love. 365 days, and each one of those days is going to come with a brand new expression of God's love for you. Every single one of those. At the end of this year, you should be a completely different person. At the end of this year, you should be a person who's been touched and changed and infused by the love of God. Every single morning is an opportunity for you to step into something new, something that is taken of himself, a new way that he's taken and expressed his love to you. And when you see his love and you grab hold of his love and you allow his love to come into that place and to touch you, you're going to become a different person. The whole purpose of his love and him taking expressions of his love and offering it to you is it's an invitation to newness. It's an invitation for me to step into something where I've never been before. It is a gift that he's given you. 365 of them heading your way. When you wake up tomorrow morning on the 1st of January, wake up in anticipation of, you know what? The romance of God is about to hit me. He's looking for expressions 
ways to express his love to me in this day. Where is it going to be and what is it going to look like? You should wake up every single morning in anticipation of being run over by his romance. Set that as a priority for this year. Set it as a priority for this year. You, at the end of this year, could be a completely different person. At the end of this year, the reason that God's love comes into your life is to bring you and affect you and change you and introduce you to all that he's called you to do and to move you from where you are and to step you forward into his plan and his purposes for your life. I know you don't think that that's true, but it really is. And I'll prove it to you because it says so in the Bible. If you have a look. At Psalm 148, verse 8, it says, The Lord will fulfill His purposes for me. Say, the Lord is going to fulfill His purposes for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. God has got a purpose for you. What it's saying there is God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And the way that you're going to understand, the way it's going to be revealed to you, and the way that you're going to step into it is when you participate and allow God to romance you. When you allow God to take of his love and to take of who he is and to give you an expression of his love every single day, it creates opportunities for you to begin to step into what God has planned for you. It's about newness. It's not about where you were. It's about where you're going. They are new every single day. What it means is every day is an opportunity for me to advance my life. Every day is an opportunity to me, for me to step into a better, a bigger and a more robust way of living. That's what God's inviting us into. God's not sitting saying, I'm coming to meet you or where you are and leave you where you are. He's not coming into our reality. He's inviting us into his. He's saying, I'm looking for you to become bigger and more robust. I'm looking to come into your world and to touch every aspect of your life. If you allow the gift of the newness of my love to touch you, it'll change you. It'll bring you into newness. It'll introduce you to a new way of living. By the end of 2024, you will be a completely different person. Why? Because I romance God through the year. I lived in a place where expressions of his love came in, touched me, changed me, informed me. Part of the challenge that we have is that we don't live in the expectation of being romanced. We live in the expect in in the in we live looking at the status quo. I'm not looking for God to romance me every day. I'm not looking for new expressions of his love every single day. What ends up happening is we become so accom- uh, accustomed and so used to where we've been and who we are, we live in our little cocoon. We live in a place, all of our lives we've had stuff that's been a part of us. And so what we've done is we've, de- we've developed life skills based on who we were. And we live in our life skills. And we look for God to make our life skills better. And God's saying, I'm not trying to make your life skills better. What I'm trying to do is actually remedy the issue. What I'm trying to do is bring wholeness, bring, bring peace, bring newness into those situations. In those situations, you won't need the life skills anymore. He's wanting to introduce us into something new. Sometimes newness is hard because I'm so accustomed to the life skills that I used to adopt in order to maintain my life that it was. I'm living in this little cocoon. And he's saying, we spoke about this last year, last week, nearly last year, last week. He's wanting to get you out of your cocoon. What he's saying is get out of your normal. Get out of everything that you've established to live where you are. Get out of the cocoon so that you can move to a place where you can fly. Stop living in that. Let me encourage you in this. 
It's not just our life skills that are problematic. Sometimes what's problematic is God introduces us to a revelation and we grab hold of those things. But what we do is we pepper our lives with different ideas that come from God and they are good and they have their place. The problem with it is we start to build a life around those ideas. We build a boundary around those ideas and we're not prepared to get outside of those ideas to expand them. So anything that doesn't conform to what I know and what I understand and what God gave me 10 years ago, I throw away. I'm living in the past. I'm so busy looking at where things used to be. I'm not leaving myself open to where God wants to take me. I'm not talking about throwing out truth. What I'm saying is what we have of truth is so small. That what he's doing is he's wanting to say, I'm taking you from grace to grace. What he's saying is, I'm taking you from the truth that you have, and all I want to do is expand it and make it bigger and enlarge it. That's the whole point of revelation. When he gives you a revelation, when he unfolds something new to you, what he's saying is, I'm taking that truth, but you have just a little kernel of it. Let me take that and expand it and make it bigger and more robust in your life. Because the bigger he makes it, the more it has the opportunity to inform who we are. God's moving us forward. God's doing some stuff in our lives. Part of the challenge that we have is that If we want to move into our future, we have to keep our eyes on Christ. When you keep your eyes on Christ, you keep your eyes looking for his romance every day. When you keep your eyes on Christ, you're looking for expressions of his love every single day. And so as I find them and as I, as I detect them, it's an opportunity for me to grab a hold of them and to move in and allow that to give definition to who I am and my path and the way that I move forward. Give, give light to the direction and where I'm going. As I grab a hold of that and I allow his love to inform not only where I am, but where I'm going, I'm going somewhere with God. I'm heading somewhere with God. Keep your eyes on Christ. The minute I take my eyes off Christ, the first place that it goes is to me. And that's always dangerous because me is always defined by where I've been. And so if I keep my eyes on me, I'm looking at where I've been and what I'm all about. And I start the whole process of having a look at who I am and processing who I am and becoming overtly aware of who I am. And I start seeing the way that I think and I feel and the way I behave. You know what the biggest challenge is with me? I know me better than anyone. (laughs) I'll tell you why it's a problem. Because you know what happens inside that other people don't. So you get to see stuff that everybody else doesn't. You know the real you. And the challenge with it is when I take my eyes off Christ and I have a look at me, what I do is I begin to see the fact that I feel certain things that actually I hope nobody else really knows I feel this, especially God. I think certain things. I know that i got a history. I recognize my brokenness. I have a look at the way that I react and the way that I deal with stuff. The more that I look at myself, the more I become aware of the fact that it's a little bit faulty and it's a little bit wobbly. The challenge is, when I get into that place, it always runs the risk of me becoming a slave to the idea that if I don't love myself and I can't accept myself, If anybody else gets to know me, neither will they. So I try to hide myself from other people. Not only other people, but I try to hide myself from God. And so I don't open myself and allow him into that place. 
I don't, I, I find it hard to get to a place where I allow God to inform who I am because I don't feel good about who I am. I don't feel good about myself. I try to hide it. Luke chapter 15 tells the story about the, the prodigal son. The challenge with the prodigal son was this. His father loved him. His father, if you look at the story, there are a few things you can read into it. Number one, his father had made provision for him. His father had two sons and he was like, fine, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to make provision for them so that when they get older, they will have everything that they need. His father loved him. When he had gone away, his father spent every single day standing at the edge, having a look, waiting for his son's return. He loved him. If he loved him, I can tell you now, there were expressions of his love for his son. The problem is this. Because the son was at a place where he knew his father's love for him, but he didn't believe his father's love for him, he felt it was necessary for him to leave home. You can know that God loves you, but if you don't believe that God loves you, there's a big difference. You see, the thing is, God's created us and he's given us two important tools to be able to navigate life. He's given us our head and he's given us our heart. And both of them are important. They serve slightly different functions. My head gives me information and knowledge. Um, it's important because it helps give a platform and an arena for the environment in which I live myself, uh, in which I live. But your heart is important because what's in your heart are the key drivers of your life. Your passion, your courage, your faith, your beliefs. They should operate together and they should be complementary. But they're still independent of one another. Sarah loves her gardening and so if you have a garden there are a couple of things you have to have one thing that you have to have is you better make sure you have a garden hose because when it comes to summer in Virginia and you're in July and it's really hot and you never get any rain you need to get the garden hose out the garden hose brings with it water and refreshment and you stick it on the plant and it goes down to the roots and it gives the plant everything that it needs to be able to feel good and flush and robust and keep going. But you can't just have a garden hose. What you also need to do is you need to have some hedge trimmers. Because the thing is, as it begins to grow, it begins to take over. So you've got to keep it trimmed and you've got to keep everything in shape. You need your trimmers and you need your garden hose. Both of them are important and both of them are complementary. But you can't substitute one for the other. I can't sit and say, you know what, I've ran out of gas for my hedge trimmers. You know what I'll do? I'll just use the garden hose and I'll fill it up. It doesn't work on water. The problem with it is this. We have a head and we have a heart. And both of them are important. And God is going to take the information and the knowledge that we need, which should be informed and come from him. And it's important for us to have that. But it's also important for our heart to be touched because that is what fuels the essence of our life. That's what informs the essence of who we are as people. But I cannot take my head knowledge and think that that's going to be a substitute and it's going to inform my heart. So I can know that God loves me and I can tell you everything that the Bible says about God loving me. But unless I'm at a place where I believe it, it never gets in and touches the essence of who I am. I can live with it here, but unless it touches me here, what ends up happening is it doesn't shift. Mm -hmm. 
The challenge was the, the son had a look at who he was and he didn't feel validated where he was. He didn't feel that the, that the father loved him even though he did. So what he did was he was like, you know what I'll do? I'll pack my goods and I'm going to go into the world to go and find affirmation for who I am. I'm going to go outside of love and I'm going to go into a different environment to try and find who I am and get affirmation for who I am in that space. If we don't believe that God loves us, what happens is we'll tell people God loves us because it's the right thing to say, but we'll go into the world to get the affirmation for who I am. People do it all the time. With regularity, people go into the world. And what I do is it's like I, I get into the business world. Why? Because if I get promoted in that space, if I do well in that space, if I get acclaimed in that space, what does it say about me? People get into performance all the time. Why? Because if I get into performance and I do really well, everybody says, well done, good job. And I get the acclaim and the affirmation and it lasts for a period of time, but not for very long. There's something so interesting. We were talking about this the other day. Some of the funniest people in the, in, in the world, some of the best comedians struggled with depression. There's a relationship between the two. It's the funny man in the room, the one who wants to be the, 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 the center of attention, the one who's at the table making everybody laugh. It's really great because everybody looks at them and everybody affirms them and they're the, they're the heart and soul of everything. But when they leave the space, they move into a place where it's like, it's just me. And what's on the inside of me doesn't affirm me. You see, when you are with father and you're with love, and you put yourself in that place, you allow love to inform your heart through your beliefs. But if you decide that I'm going to go outside of that space to get affirmation for who I am, I move outside of love. And when I move outside of love and I go and find affirmation and validation for who I am, what ends up happening is I put myself in a dangerous spiral. Because what ends up happening is I get into that place and I'm looking for the affirmation. I'm looking for the value. I'm looking for people to affirm who I am. The problem is that I don't find it. And the more I don't find it, the more I begin to scrutinize who I am. And the more I scrutinize who I am, the less I feel validated in myself. And ultimately, it leads to a place where I become overtly aware of all of my faults, all of my issues, all of my shortcomings, all of the things that are such a problem in my life. And before terribly long, I don't particularly like myself very much and what ends up happening is when I move outside of love to find definition of who I am ultimately I run the risk of running into something called self-hatred the antithesis of love why because I moved into that space we have it and it's so pervasive in society today that's why we've come up with a whole new way of dealing with things it's called subjective realities you know what subjectives or realities are all about? People who sit and say, I don't like who I am. I hate the body I find myself in. I hate the gender I am. I hate the person that I think I am. I can't live with this anymore. So give me the opportunity to create somebody new. Let me create a fantasy world for myself. Let me step into something that's not really me because I can't live with myself. I want to divorce myself from who I am and step into something which is make-believe. It's not real. But I end up in a really compromised situation because what I find is I find myself in a situation where I'm detached from who I really am and I'm looking for validation for that. But the problem with it is society, by and large, is looking at it and sitting saying, I can't indulge your delusion. 
That's not who you are. There is such compassion for people like that. People don't intentionally try and be like that. People are like that because they're genuinely trying to find who they are. They're genuinely trying to find a sense of affirmation, a sense of identity, and they're struggling with who they were. The problem with it is, as a philosophy, it's so dangerous because it introduces people to an idea that is divorced from who they are. That's why you probably have suicide rates in, in that community three times what they are in other places. Because I can't live separated from myself. God never tries to, leave you to lead you to a place where you live a fantasy, where you live a delusion. The reason that God always comes into your life, the reason that he always wants to romance you, is because every time he takes a part of who he is, every time he takes a part of his love for you and introduces it to you, what he's saying is, I'm wanting you to discover who you truly are in me. Because when we discover who we are in him, what ends up happening is I can only love that and like that. It starts to make me a completely different person. The challenge that the prodigal son had is that he could never realize the father's love for him and never allowed the father's love to give definition to who he was. And so what ended up happening is, even while he was out in the world living with the pigs, he's still sitting there strategizing, thinking to himself, how do I get back and earn my love for my father, from my father? Maybe I'll go back and I'll just tell my father, you know, if I could be your servant, maybe in that way, you'll affirm me. God's love will never do anything in our lives unless we believe it. We have to believe it because belief is of the heart. Belief is when we allow his promises and his love to come into a place which touches the fundamentals of who we are. It begins to touch those things that drive our life, that define who we are, that makes us a brand new person. Look at um, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What it's saying is this. If you want to live a life free of condemnation, you're not going to find it in your walk. You're going to find it in relationship with God. You see, when you understand what God has for you, and there is an understanding of it, we always run the risk of trying to moderate our behavior and change who we are and change how we appear and change how we present ourselves. And even if our motivation is really good because we're looking at the way that we handle certain situations, we try to change those things, what invariably ends up happening is I find that I fall short with regularity. And the more I try to do it, the more frustrating, frustrating it becomes because I'm trying to do something in the flesh, but I'm still well aware of what's alive on the inside of me. And there is an incongruence between these two things. I'm really doing a good job of trying to manage all of the stuff. I'm doing a good job of trying to maintain it as best I can. But the fact of the matter is there's something alive on the inside of me that hasn't been taken care of. That's why you can't do it in the flesh. You have to do it in the spirit. Every time you go to Christ, every time you allow him to romance you, if you every time you allow his love to come into that space, what it does is it comes in and it makes you a brand new creation. That's what the cross is all about. That's why Jesus died. It's not just so that you can be saved and go to heaven. 
But it's so that when we live out of relationship with him, all of those individual areas, all of those hurts, all of those difficulties, all of the baggage that we have, all of the skeletons in the closet, all of those things can be taken care of. Why? Because we serve a God who is not only Savior, but Lord. He's going to change every part of who we are. So it makes us begin to realize or begin to question what actually is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not about being able to quote Bible verses, reading the book of the month, listening to the latest podcast, and being able to tell people what it is. Spiritual growth is always being able to get to a place where I'm able to identify my weaknesses. Because when I live from a place where I can recognize weakness, it puts me at a place where I can, it introduces me to a place where I can live from dependence on him. Every time I get dependent on Christ, what I'm saying is, you know what? There is an, there's a hole here. There's a deficit here. There's a problem here. I'm not going to try and fix it anymore. I need for you to come into that place and I need for you to make it whole. There's an interesting story, and now I'm going to end after this, but I want to do one exercise. There's an interesting story in Luke chapter 7. A Pharisee comes, and he invites Jesus to dinner, and he says to Jesus, come and eat at my house. So Jesus goes off to the Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's house! Okay, get the picture now. Okay, this is not your average person. This is, this is like, you know, religious hierarchy here. And Jesus is at the Pharisee's house. And what ends up happening is a woman, by all accounts as a prostitute, comes into the Pharisee's house and comes in crying. And she kneels down in front of Jesus. And it says that her tears fell on his feet. And she used her hair to wipe it. And she took a bottle of perfume that would cost her a year's wages. And she broke it on his feet. And in the space, the Pharisee began to criticize Jesus. Because he said, if you really knew who this woman was, you probably wouldn't have let that happen. And Jesus says something very interesting in, um, where am I? Yeah, I know. I'm trying to find it. In, oh, here it is. Luke 7, 47. I tell, you her, I, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. This is the principle Jesus is saying. 
A person who's been forgiven a lot loves a lot. A person who's been forgiven a little just loves a little. There's a relationship between the degree to which you realize and have an appreciation for what Jesus has done in your life and how you live. The emphasis of the New Testament is not about your love for God. The emphasis of the New Testament is on God's love for you. While you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, you know what it means. I was separated from God and had no interest in him. And he said, I don't care. You know what? I love you too much. And so my first act of romance is to come and die for you. The reason that it's so important is because God knows that if you are touched by his love, the degree to which you allow his love to touch you, change you, and influence you, the degree to which you recognize that you've been forgiven because of his love, is the degree to which we will love others. Not only others, but him. The reason I love him is because he loved me first. The reason I love him is because he romances me every single day. The reason I love him is because every single morning he's looking for new opportunities to sit and say, how do I show you my love? How do I touch you? How do I change you? How do I move your life forward? How do I want you to to realize the fullness of who I am and the degree to which I love you so very much? And the more he touches my life, I can't help but love him. Our love for him is birthed out of his love for us. But I'll tell you what the antithesis to that is. The antithesis to that is people who don't recognize the degree to which they have been forgiven and don't appreciate it or believe it as much. Love little. The Pharisee loved little. It was interesting because Jesus wasn't one who sat there and became a proponent of the philosophy of prostitution. He always labeled it a sin. But because he lived by romance, he was able to change the world. The problem that the Pharisee had was Jesus wasn't supposed to romance the world. Jesus should not have done stuff like that because do you know what those people are? There is so much happening in our world today. There is so much going on. The question I have for you is this. Do you live from compassion or criticism? Do you live from law or grace? We don't have, the, ch- the church doesn't have a problem identifying sin. There's some, there's some parts of it that do, and I, I'm not getting into that. I'm, I'm talking about Bible-believing churches. Bible-believing churches do not have a problem identifying sin. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you influence it? 
How do you change it? How do you change your schools? How do you change? You change it one person at a time. And the way that you change it is that you romance them. You introduce them to the love of God. Because when you introduce them to the love of God, they break down and they allow his love to come in and to touch and to change them. And they become different people. And when they go back to their homes and back to their world and back to their school and back to their environment, they go back as people who've been touched by love. I go back into that space and I sit and say, I know what it is to be romanced by God. I'm a different person. I'm not the prostitute I used to be. I may have a reputation. I may have a whole bunch of stuff from who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. I want you to know something. I'm new. I'm being washed. I've been forgiven. I can walk out of this place in a brand new way. I may not be perfect, but I can tell you, I have been romanced and been, I've experienced his love for me. And every single moment that I experience his love, it walks me into a fuller dimension of what he's provided for me. And it's so good. You want to change the world? Romance the world. You want to stand on your soapbox and criticize? Criticize all you want. See where that gets you. Why? Because God's love will touch your heart. Your criticism goes to the head. And all that ends up happening when it goes to the head is you end up in an argument. Why? Because I believe this and you believe that. You change people when you romance them. That's the whole purpose of the church. Go out and touch the world. The whole Great Commission was all about go and romance. It's not because you buy into their philosophy, but it's because you have something that can change them. God has called the church to touch the world. We talk a lot about what God does in our life for good reason. Because when God does something in your life, you will love God. When God's love touches you, you will be different. And when you love him a lot, you will love others the same way. You have no clue how people ended up where they are. We're so quick to judge because I look at my history And I'm like, well, people shouldn't be like that. Pharisee! (laughs) Stop judging, stop criticizing, and start romancing. When people feel that you love them, you don't have to condone their philosophy. You don't have to condone the way that they think. You don't have to condone their beliefs. All you have to do is, you know what? Let me just love you. I can promise you when you love them, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for a superhero to come in and touch their lives, and that's Jesus. You have that. The reason that we talk so much about who we are is because God is taking us to a place where where you're equipped to become an effective agent for him. Somebody who can go out and romance the world. The people who are going to change the world and turn it upside down are people who know how to love people. I want to do one exercise with you. Ruff is going to do it. And what I want to do is this. At the very outset, we're right, you're right at the starting line. You're about to get into the starting blocks for 2024. It's hours away. I'll be asleep when the gun goes off, but I'll be well into the race tomorrow morning. 
you're about to get into the starting blocks for 2024. My encouragement to you is this, go in without baggage. You know what? You may have a trunk full of stuff and you may have a closet full of skeletons. God is so excited about that because if you recognize your weakness in trying to deal with that stuff and you will allow him to come into that place, he'll clean your closet, he'll get it great. He'll open the trunk and he'll pull out the junk. He'll leave you at a place where you're ready to get into 2024 in the expectation and the anticipation that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His romance of me and his expressions for love for me never come come to an end and they are new and different and exciting every single morning live in the expectation of where is the blessing today where is the romance today what does he want to introduce to me today that comes from him keep an eye out for him be intentional Rafa come and do your thing Uh, can we give a hand to Pastor Kevin that was such a good word perfect Life-changing word. Um, if you guys receive that word, just 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 say amen first. That means so be it. Okay, good. We're in good company together, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to put our hands out real quick, okay? Just, you know, everybody knows that good. Yeah, like that, you know? Yep. And then what we're going to do is we're going to close our eyes. And before we move anywhere, anywhere, anywhere in this exercise, we need to find out who's Lord in our life. Who's in charge? So together, even if you've been born again for years and years and years, today is a brand new day to encounter him, okay? So we're just going to renew our vows. It's very funny because that word affirmation, I looked it up. uh, One of the words is also uh, a a vow, someone that vows something over you. So we're just going to renew our vow with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you're going to say, Jesus, just want to say thank you that while I was in sin, separated from you, a mess, <laughs> dirty, you said you are perfect. You said I am perfect. So right now, I just rededicate my life to you. I call you my Lord, and I call you my Savior. Just take a moment to experience that right now. It's with your heart. And now that we know who's Lord and who's Savior, you're going to do something that Pastor Gavin said. You're going to turn off the part of you that critiques and the part of you that judges, which is your brain. We're not going to figure out what's right, what's wrong, what's good, what's bad, what I should do next, what I didn't do. That part, we're just going to turn off. And you're just going to find silence. Good job. And now that you're there, you're going to be like the prodigal son and you're going to let Father God come and meet you right where you are. You are not taking a step You're staying in this place right here. And you're going to say, Father, come and meet me right here in my heart. Don't analyze. Don't judge anything. Because we're going to let him unfold things in front of you. So you're going to say, Father, 
Is there any baggage, anything you want to reveal to me, big or small, that's stopping me from being my true self? Stay in this place. Don't analyze. Don't critique the first thing that came up, whether it's big or small. Just see it. You're going to say, Father God, I give you permission to hug, (laughs) to embrace me, and to remove this baggage. Don't analyze, don't critique, just let it happen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just let it happen. Let it unfold spirit to spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Abba. Stay right here. Stay right here. And in that story, he's a good father. In exchange for dirty robes, he gave him a clean robe and a ring. So you're going to say, Father God, in exchange for this baggage, what do you put on me? And don't criticize it, analyze it, judge it. Just let him do what he needs to do. Let him give you something in return, big or small. Spirit to spirit, father to son, father to daughter. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm feeling for a lot of us right now, it's self-acceptance, self-love, true love, his love. And we want this to be as real as possible because it is. We just want to say right now, Father God, thank you for this moment right here where you romanced us. Thank you for this moment where you came, met us where we were, and gave us something beautiful in return for something that never even belonged to us. We thank you, God, that we get to do this every day, not just on a Sunday morning, but every day, right before going to bed, right when we wake up. We have 365 days to encounter you like this. And we're choosing for today to be day one. We love you and we thank you. You're a good father. And if you got something good, can we just shout a big praise to God? Yay. I love you guys. <laughs>